Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon here with another author interview as well as this week's new books. So we're keeping it historical today and we are going to hear an interview that I did with author Carrie Chaput about her novel Daughter of the King which shows us a little known bit of Canadian history. Then I'll be back to talk to you about some great new releases out this week. So let's get going with the housekeeping information, and then we'll dive right into the interview. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Carrie Chaplett, and we are talking about her novel, Daughter of the King. This was released here in the U.S. on December 16th. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Shannon. I'm really excited to be here. Could we start out with a brief introduction to Daughter of the King? Of course, um, this is a historical fiction novel set in 17th century France and Canada, and it's based on the true story of the French orphans that the king um, sent over to Canada to help with um, the population. And it really is an incredible story. As soon as I researched um, all of my my husband's French Canadian ancestry, I, I discovered these daughters of the king and and I was just instantly taken. And so the story is um, basically about um, her name is Isabel Collette, and she starts the book as a Protestant in Catholic France. And their life was quite miserable um, with the persecution and the harassment because they were trying to get everyone to convert to Catholicism. And so at some point she gets herself in an impossible situation and she has to decide whether she is going to stay true to her Protestant faith and risk, um, you know, uh, basically death or torture, or if she's going to make the decision to convert to Catholicism and become a daughter of the King and begin a new life in Canada. I have talked to a few different authors who write about various historical periods, and we've talked a bit about research and how, depending on the period that you're researching, you know, that can be either pretty easy or quite difficult. 
With um, your novel being set so far in the past, how was your research process? Like, did you find it more difficult than you expected or was yeah. it easy for you? I would say more difficult than I expected. I I found that discovering the big picture of what was happening at that time and place was fairly easy. You know, you can read about the wars of religion. You can read about the yes. monarchy in France. Like that stuff's pretty readily available. What I had a much harder time with were the details of life during that time period. What were they wearing? What were shoes made of? How did they build oh, fires? Yes. You know, what did they eat? Um, or specifically, what were the Protestants' day-to-day activities like? How did they pray? How did they um, meet in church? They met in secret church, usually out in the forest because it was not allowed. And so really the more human details were definitely a challenge for me. I spent many, many, many months really researching the internet as much as I could possibly find. And what I ended up discovering is that for those details, I really needed to go to college libraries and bookstores and read more textbook based um, okay. reading. That really helped me in this instance. So were you able then to find at least enough of what you needed so that you could feel comfortable delving into those details to tell your own story. I did, but you know, it's ongoing. And this is something that you learn when you're a historical fiction author is that, you know, we would love to do all of the research and then be ready to write our story. But I'm constantly having tabs up while I'm writing because I have to jump over and check. Is that accurate? What's, you know, I have to make a note and say, go back and double check to make sure that this is correct. And so it is ongoing the whole time that you're writing and revising, you're continually researching. Um, So I felt like at some point I felt pretty good that I had the details that I needed. And then I was lucky because specifically researching Canadian ancestry is, it's amazing. I mean, the documents that they still have from the 1600s, you can go online and read the original marriage documents from these daughters of the king from, you know, 1665. Yeah. And so that was pretty amazing because you could, you could, and then what's neat also is frequently on Google, when you pull up a page, you can click on the translation. And so if it's in French, then I could translate it to English and I could kind of get a gist. It doesn't always translate perfectly, but I was able to see, you know, what did they get when they were married? Oh, they got, you know, two oxen and they got however many acres and they, I got specifics of, you know, who they married and, and what day it was. I know exactly what day most of these women landed on the shores of Quebec. You know, the, the research um, was really fun in that way because I, I was researching real people and the story of their lives and through some of the documents and, memoirs and whatnot, I was able to pull together, I feel like, a pretty good comprehensive view of what life was like in early, you know, um, early Canada. So I'm interested in something you said about, you know, writing something and then having to kind of go back and check to make sure that something is accurate. So I'm curious to know, does that kind of pull you out of the story? Like one of the things I always hear people say is like, I sit down and I try to write, you know, everything I can for like a certain period of time. 
And so I'm just wondering when you move kind of back and forth and you switch from kind of that like writing to researching, is it difficult for you then to put yourself back into that like writing mind space? Yeah, it's not ideal. And, you know, the big joke, too, with historical fiction authors is how easily we can let ourselves go down the rabbit hole because you oh, yes. spend an hour on the most ridiculous thing that you're like, this isn't even going to affect my story. Let it go. You know, so you have to make that choice to say, OK, I'm cutting it off. But I really feel like you have to be good at multitasking to make this process work. And it's definitely a strength of mine. So I'm able to bounce back and forth. but. I really love the rough draft process. I really love writing the story. And so I try really hard to stay focused in that moment, in that story, and be okay writing the wrong thing, and then make notes every step of the way to go back later and check when I'm out of my creative zone and more in my kind of editing zone. So I try to break up my time a little bit more specifically. That that helps me stay in the story. So when you're doing your initial draft, are you writing like every day or like a certain number of words per day? How do you kind of define what needs to be done um, in a day? Yeah, I don't like word count goals. I've never worked off of those. Um, I find that it puts a lot of pressure on me that I I it stifles the creative mindset, in my opinion, for me. I know a lot that they work for a lot of people, but um, I am a very intuitive writer. I'm a pantser, so I don't plot. I don't have anything worked out ahead of time. Um, so I tend to just sit down for a certain number of time and let come out whatever comes out. Um, I write in the morning. I usually start around 4 a.m. And I write for two to two and a half hours every single day without fail. And, you know, not all of that makes it into the story. Sometimes I'm just telling myself the story. But I just stay consistent. That's my big thing is two hours a day has worked out pretty well for me. And then how does that translate to when you're going back and either, you know, doing revisions that you've decided or maybe revisions that an editor has suggested Mm -hmm. to you? Um, Do you kind of then move those two hours into editing or do you kind of parcel that out differently so that you're writing at one point and editing at another? Yeah, I try to always leave my morning time for drafting because that's when I'm most creative. And so most of the time I am working on creating at that time. And then I'll maybe add in evening times when I know that I have a lot of editing to do or sometimes my lunch breaks. I'll do that. I really try to stay true to my process and my creative time in the morning. I try not to use too much for editing. Um, Weekends, frequently I'll do editing because I don't like to get in and start for an hour or two and then have to step out because editing is a massive project. And while writing, I can kind of go in really big thinking and really let my creative juices fly. Um, that only lasts for two hours for me. And then I'm kind of wiped. I can't do that for longer than a couple of hours. Whereas editing, I like being able to settle in, let's say on a Saturday or Sunday and just do like six hours at a time. And so I tend to break it up in that way, um, but, but really protect my morning writing time. So when you're editing, are you just like reading kind of back what you've written, processing it, 
and deciding what you want to change. Or even as you're writing it, you sometimes have an idea like, oh, I don't like how this is coming out as as much as I thought I might. Oh, I have a lot of notes. (laughs) Ah. notes Because they don't plot. And so I just sort of go with what feels right. And then as you're writing, you hit a point sometimes where you go, wait, this isn't the right path. I've got to I've got to either erase it right then or I have to kind of pivot and maybe start another document and say, okay, these are my ideas for how I fix it. So I am constantly making notes in my head of what's going to have to be changed. So are you writing kind of chronologically from beginning to end or do you start with a scene and then sort of allow that to unfold as it will? So maybe the scene that you started with doesn't end up being the first scene of the book. I would say probably the latter. I I definitely jump around a little bit. I try to write chronologically because it's just easier to remember everything. But without fail, every book that I've written has ended up, I'll get to about the halfway point, and I kind of go, I don't really know what to have next, but I always know my ending. So I frequently go write my ending. And then that helps me navigate that last third that, for me, is a little bit harder than the ending. And I like having that that idea in my head of where the story is going to end so that I can hit my my marks getting up to it. It's a little easier for me to write that part, that last third, actually, at, at the very end. And how many books have you written? Let's see. Um, I have just finished my fifth. Ooh. Yeah, I just finished my rough draft yesterday, so it's still very rough, but uh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And have all of these been historical fiction or have you ever tried writing in a different genre? They're all historical fiction, but the first two, including Daughter of the King, were adult. And then I sort of um, dipped my toe a little bit into YA historical fiction, which YA. I'm really, yeah, so I'm really getting into that right now. The one that I'm querying with agents right now is is YA historical fiction and set in the Great Depression. And the one that I just finished yesterday, my rough draft, is actually magical realism. So it's YA historical, but with elements of of magical realism, which has been really fun. There are some really great books out there that do magical realism so well. I don't always love it. Like sometimes I feel like, you know, when people write it, it kind of pulls me out of the story. But there are a few authors that I feel like just nail it. Um, Heather Weber does some really awesome like women's fiction. Yeah, I read magical um, realism. Was it Midnight at the the Blackbird? Blackbird Cafe. Yes, Midnight at the Blackbird Cafe. Yes, I read that last year. Yes, and then she has a couple more, um, The Lights of Sugarberry Cove mm-hmm. and something about the buttonwood tree. I can't remember oh, the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she, she does a great job with that. And it is, it's a new thing for me, so I'm still kind of finding my way with it. Um, but it's been fun. It really lets my, my mind go, okay, how, how, how fun can we make this? How how different can we make it? How much can we push the storyline? And um, we'll see. We'll see how much of that kind of fantastical element ends up in the final. Because I think I went a little too big with it on my rough draft, which is what I tend to do. I tend to go really okay. big and then kind of pull back over time. That works better for me. I know a lot of people 
do minimal in the beginning and then add on. But I really like to challenge myself in the rough draft and just see how big and wild I can make the storyline. I love plot is my strength. That's like my jam. I'm I love creating kind of wild stories. And so it's it's easier for me to do that. And then after the fact, in my, in my subsequent revisions, I'll pull back um, and I kind of temper some of the story. So have you noticed any like really big differences in writing for the adult market versus YA? Um, I, you know, the the readers are quite different. I find that the the things that they want out of a book are quite different if you're an adult reader versus a YA reader. Um, but I write coming of age historical fiction. So I've always sort of tiered on that line. All of my protagonists are around 18, 19 years old. That's the time in life that I think I find most fascinating. And so if you're drawn to one of my books, it's probably because you also like reading about that particular time. Now, Daughter of the King is a little bit different because um, it's really a bigger story. Um, about, you know, find a girl finding her face and um, deciding her own path in life and fighting against these impossible situations in, you know, 17th century France. So it's a little bit different, but it's the theme really still stays. How do I become my own person and how do I stand up and make the hard choices because it's right for me? And I think that can be very YA. You know, I have read so much YA in the past several years. I feel like, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't really have a big supply of YA. No, it was like you did. had either, you know, kids books, like you could read The Babysitter's Club or you could be reading like romance novels. Yep. Um, but you didn't have that kind of, I don't know, like middle uh, like middle ground where you were reading books that weren't quite as, as juvenile, um, but also weren't like fully adult. And I love some of what is coming out for that yeah. YA market now. I totally agree. And I was just having a discussion with an author friend about this, that um, I sort of hesitated about calling myself a YA author. I'm still hesitating about it just because I've been kind of solidly in the adult camp for a while. But what I really like is as I'm reading more YA historicals, I really appreciate the ones who don't talk down to their readers. Yes. You know, we're talking about really young women for the most part would be the ones who would be reading my kind of more women's fiction type stories. And, you know, you're you're facing adult things when you are 18, 19 you are. You are facing the same things that a grown woman is just it, it kind of packaged in a different way. And so, you know, they're not 13 year old readers. They are young women and really, you know, writing your stories to keep that in mind, I think, is really important. And I, I definitely admire the authors who can do that. Well, I feel like looking back at my own reading, you know, when I was 12 or 13, you know, I was pretty fully ensconced in like the world of historical romance by then. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was reading books that, you know, thinking back on it, I probably shouldn't have been reading at 12 or 13. And so I'm thinking if I could read and comprehend those, then it's, you know, not a stretch to think that an author who's writing for a YA audience, like wouldn't have to talk down. Right. Exactly. And we do, we do tend to 
I don't know, maybe not give readers enough credit for how mature young readers can be. So when you were growing up, what kinds of things did you gravitate toward when it came to books? Um, I, I read adult books. I mean, yes, I kind of skipped past the whole middle grade. And like you said, there was no YA thing back then, really, that I could think of. But I remember um, reading The Diary of Anne Frank and going, what, what, this girl is my age and she sounds like me and she thinks like me. And, you know, it introduced me to this love for, for history and how, you know, you take her most horrific time we can imagine and this girl living in, in unbelievable circumstances and her thoughts are not different than mine in a modern world living right. in a very comfortable place. I was able to transport myself to what this girl might have felt like. And I was just, I read that in a weekend and I went, wow, I, I am changed because I read a protagonist who reminded me of me. I remember reading that, um, I think, gosh, I would have been in like sixth or seventh grade, I think. And it was a thing that like I had heard about, you know, before I read it, like things that I had learned in school, but to actually read those words and see kind of how her life was changed by all of the terrible things that were going on in her world. I feel like that impacted me far more than just like the things that I had read, you know, in school. Yeah, exactly. Because it's the, really, it's the small moments for me in books that change me. It's the moment where she says, you know, despite everything, I'd still believe people are good. It's like, look at her life and she can still say that people are good. That's amazing to me. And so I, I really, I didn't, I wasn't a voracious reader growing up in my younger years. I really came into reading in my 20s, about the time that I kind of got out of college and um, I really settled into that. And then I was, you know, right into historical fiction um, from then until now. I've been a historical fiction reader. I read voraciously, like pretty much always. And I would kind of reward myself like, OK, so I have to do you know this task for school. But once I'm done with that. Yeah, that I can actually read like my whatever my book of the moment was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to kind of bribe myself to get through whatever school work. I think I I kind of still do that, Shannon. I mean, I'm like, I got to do my work and I got to do what I have to do for life. And then it was like, ah, then I get to settle in for an hour. And that's my reward is fiction reading. I've learned. that Bluetooth headsets are remarkable. And so you can just kind of walk around and like always have, you know, a book going, like I'll always have an audio book going. I know and I need to do that more. I don't, I struggle with audiobooks. Um, partly because I mean, I have a full-time job and two kids and my, I don't have the mental um, attention until the end of the night regardless right. of whether it's it's reading or listening. Um, so I do like audiobooks, like if I'm on a long car drive or I'm traveling, then that's great because I do have the attention for it. But in my day-to-day life, um, you know, I just, I, I'm able to give about an hour, hour and a half to reading and between 
work and family and writing, that is kind of my limit right now, which I, I wish was more, but it's still a part of my everyday, you know, routine. I, I read every day. It just might not be as long or as much as I would like. Sure. So as an adult um, now, are you mostly reading historical fiction or do you read other genres as well? Yeah, I mostly, that's definitely my go-to. I mean, I, I cannot turn down a Great Depression book. I cannot turn down, you know, World War II book. Um, I, I love, though, that historical fiction is branching out of World War II. Not that there aren't yes. amazing stories, but I'm just kind of hungry for different time periods. There's so many fascinating stories out there outside of World War II. So I just want it to be very um, diverse in that way. And so that's definitely my go-to, but I read a lot of contemporary women's fiction. Um, I've been starting to get a little bit more now into obviously YA and a um, little bit of not high fantasy. That's That takes a lot of energy and effort for me just to understand the world. So I will read some fantasy, but I really need the time to kind of settle into it and really get in the groove um so it's light fantasy you know like magical realism or um something along those lines i'm definitely liking that as well my favorite type of fantasy is what would be considered urban fantasy where like (laughs) the world is ours yeah like you'll see a lot of it in like new orleans but it's new orleans like with magic yeah so cool Yes, I feel like that way you know the world, like you're not trying to remember, you know, where all these places are and, you know, who lives in what place and which place is loyal to this other one. You know, you already know the world because it's the world you live in, but it has sort of those extra magical elements. Uh, Absolutely. And that is definitely something that I'm getting into Um, I that you said it perfectly because, um, you know, some of the high fantasy books I have to work really hard in the beginning to be like, wait, what are the rules and and who's related to who and and what is this different kind of animal? It's really it just takes I like it once I'm in it, but it's it takes a lot for me to get into those high fantasy books. Yeah, I have found I would say in the past, I don't know, maybe 15 years, there's just been so much great um, urban fantasy slash like paranormal romance. Right, right. There, there really has. And I love that too, that all these genres are kind of blending and crossing over because, you know, genres, it's really about marketing is what that's about. You know, it's, it is hard as a author sometimes because you, you know, you have to think about that when you choose your stories, you know? Yes. Yes, like people always say, you know, that people should write what they love, which I think is true. But if you're trying to, like, sell your work and market it to people, um, hopefully, you know, the thing that you love is also the thing that a bunch of other people love to read. Right. And, you know, your audience likes to... They like it when you write similar stories. It doesn't have to be the same, obviously. But, you know, if you're going to read Alice Hoffman, you know what you're going to get. You yes. know that, like, it's a consistently good book about, um, you know, witches. <laughs> and, and so if she were to write a contemporary romance, you know, it might, some of her readers might be like, 
wait a minute, this is totally different than what I'm used to. And so you do have to kind of imagine that as an author that you can't go all over the place. You really have to decide what your vibe is and, and you can play around within that and, and work at challenging yourself, but it is something that you do need to keep in mind. Alice Hoffman wrote several years ago this long, sweeping historical novel that I want to say is set in, like, Jerusalem. Really? The Dove Keepers, yes. And it is one of the best things I've ever read. There's no, like, out-and-out magic. I think there's one. It's told from four separate points of view. And -hmm. I think one of the women is... um, thought to be a witch and you as the reader don't necessarily know if she is or she isn't like you know that she's a healer but you don't really know how much of it is is quote-unquote magical yeah um and so I felt like that had a really different feel from some of the other Alice Hoffman books I've read but it is one of the best things of hers She's such, she's such a good writer. So it's sort of one of those things where she should write anything. It would be entertaining yeah. and good, you know, but she still has that, you know, practical magic audience. Yes. Can't get enough of that. And so, you know, that's great too. So what have you read recently that you think the world should know about and read too? I would say that my Favorite book of last year was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Ah, V.E. Schwab. Yeah, so I thought it was just so unique and so great. And as a historical fiction reader, I think she took the idea of a historical fiction book and put enough of a spin on it that it, yeah, it had like a magical element to it. But really, that is if you read historical fiction, you wish you could time travel. And so being with this girl over 300 years, traveling all over the world in these different time periods is kind of a dream for a historical fiction reader. And I thought she did a, an amazing job with it. I thought I was hooked from page one till, till it was finished. And um, I, that was definitely my top read of the last year. I have heard so much good stuff about this book, and I've not read it. I've read some of the author's other work, um, like her Shades of London series I read and really liked, um, which is more sort of YA fantasy with, like, four parallel versions of London uh-huh. um, that I, I really enjoyed. Um, but Addie LaRue is one that is on my list of things to read, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I thought I thought it was um, just really unique and fun, and she did a, a great job keeping my interest. And but without it being too out there and weird, you know, sometimes some of these magical stories can lose me a little bit when they get too much. But she kept yes. it really grounded, even though it was kind of a magical story. She kept it grounded, and I thought that the main character's struggle was very relatable. Yeah, this is one that I definitely want to check out at sometime soon. So before I let you dash off to whatever else you have planned for the day, I'm wondering if you can let my listeners know the best place to find you online. I'm most active on Instagram um, under Carrie Writes. I'm on there almost every day. I really like the Instagram community. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Chapit Carrie. 
and my website, which is www.carryrights.com. That has all the information on my books and my blog and anything else you want to know about me. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to chat with me today so that my listeners can learn a little bit about you and the things that you enjoy writing. Oh, it's been so fun to chat with you. And I feel like I could talk about books and writing all day. So it's always fun to meet another book lover and talk about this amazing world of books that we live in. And again, we were discussing Daughter of the King by Carrie Chappett. This is out now and available, from what I can tell, pretty much anywhere that books are sold these days. All right. So we are here with new books. As always, I'm starting out with a few things you've heard us mention before on our most anticipated releases of March, also known as the March Extravaganza episode. I'm starting with a couple of books that Kristen is looking forward to. Um, One is The War of Two Queens. This is Blood and Ash, book four, by Jennifer L. Armentrout. This is a fantasy series, and I think this is supposed to be the last book in that series. We also have The Summer Getaway, which is women's fiction by Susan Mallory, and that's another book that Kristen is looking forward to. Brooke is excited about The Words We Keep by Aaron Stewart, a contemporary young adult novel. And Stacy is looking forward to the new Simone St. James, The Book of Cold Cases, which is a dual timeline about true crime and ghosts. So now I'm going to move into some books that you haven't heard us talk about. And we're going to start with some romance. So we have Dating Dr. Dill by Nisha Sharma. This is the story of a woman who finds love because her father tells her that if she finds like a suitable man, he will give her her family home and allow her to keep her mother's legacy alive. I'm not sure how this actually works, um, but I've heard great things about Nisha Sharma in the past. And this is one that has been on my radar since I first saw the blurb several months ago. So this is Dating Dr. Dill by Nisha Sharma. We also have a lighter contemporary. This is Love on the Lake. It's Lakeside Book Two by Helena Hunting. Um, I think Brooke is the only one of us on the team who has read Hunting, although I know that she's popular with a lot of romance fans. She's done some sports romance, like some things, um, some hockey themed, I believe. Um, She has a book about a baker called Kiss My Cupcake. Um, But this one is the second in her Lakeside series. So this is Love on the Lake, and it's Lakeside Book Two by Helena Hunting. If you like new adult romance, then you're probably familiar with Serena Bowen, and her latest novel is called Shenanigans. It is the sixth book in her Brooklyn series. Um, This is someone that I know that Min talked about when she was on the podcast a couple of years ago, and 
I'm thinking that Natalia has also read some Serena Bowen. She's someone that I've heard a lot of great things about, but I've never actually read her. Um, I believe she has also teamed up with Elle Kennedy um, for a series of books. So this is Shenanigans, and it's Brooklyn, book six, by Serena Bowen. We also have In a New York Minute. This is a standalone contemporary romance set in New York City. There's supposed to be a really great meet cute here. Like it's one of the things that people talk about when they talk about this book. Um, it's supposedly one of these books that really brings the city to life, making it almost a character in and of itself. And we talked a lot about that here, books with that really strong sense of place that kind of transport you. So if you're a fan of New York City and you're looking for a romance set there, you might want to check this one out. It's In a New York Minute by Kate Spencer. I'm going to move along to some fantasy now. We have Inked. This is the first book in an urban fantasy series by Rachel Reiner. The series is called Gilded Blood, and it's about a tattoo artist who uses some ink that she's not supposed to. It's apparently like kept as like a secret stash of her bosses, and she uses this ink and finds that it opens sort of a portal into all sorts of magical mayhem. So this is Inked, Gilded Blood, book one, by Rachel Reiner. We also have the sequel to India Holton's debut, which came out in 2021. Um, this is something that Kristen mentioned last year when it first came out, but the sequel is finally here. This is The League of Gentlewoman Witches. Dangerous Damsels, book two by India Holton. I have heard such good things about this series. An author that I spoke to a couple of weeks ago was raving about the sequel. It's fantasy with lots of adventure, romance. We get to kind of turn some common tropes on their heads. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading both of these now that the second one is out. This is the League of Gentlewoman Witches, Dangerous Damsels, book two by India Holton. Okay, how about some historical? Yeah, why not, right? This is Peach Blossom Spring by Lisa Fu. This is a multi-generational novel that looks at the history of kind of modern China. Um, it's the story of a family, of immigration, and also of like an ancient scroll that relays a lot of Chinese fables. This is Peach Blossom Spring by Lisa Fu. Keeping it historical here, we have Things Past Telling. This is by Sheila Williams. Um, this novel charts the life of one West African woman who is forever separated from her homeland, and it sort of shows us you know, everything that she goes through leaving Africa and being forced um, to live separate from the land of her birth. This is Things Past Telling by Sheila Williams. And we've got some mysteries here. 
This is I Will Find You by Amanda Rigby. It is about three sisters. They're all keeping secrets. But there's one secret that unites them in kind of a dysfunctional way. This is I Will Find You by Amanda Rigby. We then have Nine Lives by Peter Swanson. And Peter Swanson writes some super twisty, like Hitchcockian thrillers. Um, I don't love all of them. Like some of them fall a little flat for me. But when he's on, he is so, so great. And I have high hopes for this one. This is the story of nine strangers who all receive a certain letter. And this letter connects them in ways that we don't fully understand until we read the book. It's Nine Lives, and it's by Peter Swanson. Harlan Coben is releasing the sequel to The Boy from the Woods. This is Match, and it's Wild Book Two. If you love Hester Krimstein, you will remember that she played a big part in The Boy from the Woods. So we're hoping that we'll continue to see her here in Match. This is Match, and it's Wild, book two, by Harlan Coben. And I'm finishing off with a couple of young adult titles. Um, Mindy McGinnis is releasing The Last Laugh. This is book two in her initial insult series. And McGinnis is a really fascinating writer for me because she writes in so many different genres. We have thrillers, we have a little bit of horror, we have some dystopia, and then we have just straight up contemporary YA. Everything she writes is just so, so relatable, even when the characters are people that you don't really expect to relate to when you first start reading the book. So if you've not read Mindy McGinnis in the past, I highly recommend her. So this one is The Last Laugh. It's Initial Insult, book two. And again, it's by Mindy McGinnis. And I'm ending the episode with I Am Margaret Moore by Hannah Capen. So Hannah Capen was first on my radar when The Dead Queens Club came out a few years ago. And this was kind of a look at Henry VIII's wives but set in a contemporary high school with like Henry VIII being sort of like the high school quarterback and all of the queens being kind of the women, the girls that surrounded him. Um, since then, she's written a more sort of revenge-based thriller. But I Am Margaret Moore looks at missing girls and monsters. Now, whether monsters is sort of metaphorical, like people who object missing girls are monsters, or are we talking about actual monsters? I don't know. And I guess we won't know until we read the book. But this is I Am Margaret Moore by Hannah Caven. And that is all I have for you this week. I do have to say, though, that today is a big day in Book Bistro land because Sarah Lyons Fleming, World Between, is finally here in audio. It came out... November, December, I think in print, and we have, so many of us have been waiting for it to be out in audio, and it's finally here. If you are a post-apocalyptic fan and you've been waiting, you'll definitely want to pick it up. It is the sequel to the 2020 uh, World Departed, and again, it's World Between by Sarah Lyons Fleming. All right. 
as I said, that really is all I have for you now. I hope everyone is doing well and finding lots of great books to read. If you haven't found enough, definitely come back next week when I'll be here to talk to you about more new releases. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.